You know, there are many pitfalls in the game of life. A good analogy for life might be uh, traversing on the roads this morning. That as you're driving, every now and then you come to a stretch that is paved with black ice and, and watch out because before you know it, you can land up in the ditch. The game of life reminds me of an old computer game. Uh, I don't remember if you know this game, Minesweeper, where you just click the random tiles hoping not to get a bomb, get as close as you can, but don't get hurt. The game of life, it reminds me of what they say in London. In London, I like different terminologies for things. They call the train the tube. And before you get on the tube, uh, they have this uh, phrase, mind the gap, right? Uh, basically, if you go over that gap, you might trip, fall down. You might get hit by the train. Watch out. You don't want to go past this point. And as we consider this life filled with pitfalls, and we look back on the year that has just transpired, I wonder, where did you see lives blow up? What minds did you find? As I do a general observation of the year that has transpired, for those that were really into hearing a political voice, they really wanted to hear the voice of a certain president or a certain party more than the voice of the king of kings, that led to some anxiety. That led to some fears. I consider family life and how it completely changed for moms and dads trying to not only work at home, but then have the kids at home at the same time, there were some gaps to mind. Or then I consider the current state of things, and um, at least for me, I think we are in the age of outrage. You know what I'm saying? We are in the age of, everyone is heated about something. And in this age of outrage, one of the gaps I saw was getting so concerned about things that have nothing to do with God. So concerned about opinions and ideals that do not come from the Bible. Getting so wrapped up and angry about those things. And because life is filled with all these gaps, that's why I love coming together as a church family, coming together with you. And, and first of all, welcome if you're just joining us online, if you're new here. Uh, we just want you to know God's love, his goodness for you. But church family, one of the reasons I love being in this place is because he has his word which will direct us. And consider what that word is like. The psalmist said, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Another way of looking at this, this is the foolproof minesweeper that if you read it, investigate it, it can lead you away from huge explosions that might otherwise occur. And so today, um, I'm excited to get into some specifics, some directives on how to live our lives. Now, whenever we talk about how to live our lives, first we have to t establish our base. Our base is that we do this out of thanksgiving for what Jesus has already done. We have already been forgiven through the cross of Jesus. You are at perfect peace if you know him as Savior and have put your faith in him. That's the gospel we proclaim. But does it matter how we live? Yes or no? Will it have ramifications for how our lives go, yes or no? Um, yeah, if we don't avoid the minds, things can get better or worse based on his word, right? And today as we get into the word, there is an overarching principle and then some specifics. And I'm going to start with the overarching principle and then get into a couple specifics. And, and to start this, I wanted to know, 
Who are you living to please? If you did an honest assessment on that, what would the response be? Now, I think the most popular response today in our culture is me. (laughs) We've heard for a long time, have it your way, you do you, boo, follow your heart, right? And so our society is filled with people just pursuing themselves. Something that I always recognize is when I was young, I didn't know what a narcissist was, right? That's kind of a novel term. Uh, Back in my day, they just called people selfish and arrogant. But what is a narcissist? A narcissist is someone extremely self-centered. A narcissist is maybe fueled by this meme. He does a great thing on coconut oil, by the way. Um, But knowing you're better than everyone else and constantly telling them is the only way you'll show everyone you're better than them. True words of a narcissist. And you think of our culture that kind of even fuels that idea. Just do whatever makes you happy. Make sure you get yours. And so what we find is many people living for themselves, but do they ever find the gap instead of minding the gap? Absolutely. If you're bent only to live for yourself at one point or another, you will definitely hurt someone and yourself. Who are you living to please? You know, another option is to live for others. And so I think of the, 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 the beauty of children and, and what a gift they are. And when it comes to children, uh, one Christian commentator had this phrase, that as a mother, you're only as happy as your saddest child. And I'm not sure if anyone else can relate to that. Children weigh so much on our hearts, we want to give them the world if we could. But is it possible at times we put them on too high of a pedestal? Well, it's not just kids. What about a boss, a company? You can only be happy with yourself as long as they're happy with your performance, what you've done, as long as you get recognition. Many people living for that. And then I consider Valentine's Day coming up. It's a gentle reminder for the guys. Still have time. And, and maybe, you know, as we consider romantic love, uh, you know, as long as they're happy with me, then I can be happy. As long as that boy or girl loves me, then I can love me. Yeah, we find a whole culture living for self, a whole culture living for others. But as we've gathered here and we pursue the spirit, what is the, the best person to live to please? It's God, isn't it? And so that's our first takeaway. If you really want to mind the gaps of life, the overarching principle, what we find throughout all of Scripture is you have to live in order to please God. In fact, Paul, he put it this way. He said, you know what? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And the way he he says it, it, it's kind of like I can't serve Christ and others on the same level. It's just not possible. One will come before the other. Jesus, he said, seek first the kingdom and the righteousness of God and all these things, the things that other people are pursuing for themselves and their family, all these things will be given to you as well. Seek me first. Commentator Tim Keller had a riff on that idea. I thought it was a good phrase. If you seek righteousness first, you get happiness. If you seek happiness first, and how many in our culture are doing that? You get neither. Yes, I think the overarching principle of our lives is 
live to please God, and you will mine many different gaps in your life. And so we're going to hear now this from the Word, and I'm excited about the Word today from uh, 1 Thessalonians. So Paul writes a letter to Christians in Thessalonica, and, and this was his overarching principle, and then he's going to get into some specifics that we to consider. And uh, because we do believe it is God's voice that we hear when we read his Bible, um, I, I'm going to invite you to please stand as we hear the word. So here it says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are doing. Now we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will. Have you ever asked that about God? God, what would you have me to do? What is your will? Here's very clear. It is God's will, what? That you should be sanctified or holy. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about your love for one another, we don't need to write you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you. So that your daily life will win the respect of outsiders. And so that you will not be dependent on anybody. These are some powerful words that we get to pick apart and talk about. Um, Could you just say out louder to someone next to you, love more and more. Love more and more. Please be seated. Continue. I recently came across a book called Why Men Hate Going to Church. It's an interesting premise for a book, and here is the title uh, page, the cover page. You have a man who is all dressed up in a suit who looks bored to tears that he's sleeping. And so they went off and said that for some men it's just uh, boring and they don't like getting all dressed up. There were a lot of interesting ideas from this book. Perhaps the most interesting statistic came from Switzerland in 1994. They did a study and this is what they found about the influence of mom and dad on a child. That in Switzerland, if only mom went to church, there was a 3 or 4% chance that the children would become churchgoers, if only mom went. If mom and dad went to church, there was a 33% chance that the children would end up going to church. And this was the striking one. If only dad went to church, there was a 44% likelihood that their children would also become churchgoers. So it's just interesting to observe the effects of father on a child's life and what that actually means. But one of the things that I also picked up on was, and this may not be true of amazing love, uh, because you are brighter and better than the rest, um, (laughs) but it picked up on the fact that it seems like young men in particular were absent from the church. 
that the church in general did a pretty good job getting the young boys and reaching the old men, but that for men in the prime of their life from about 18 to 30, there was this inverse relationship of their uh, attendance and connection with God and also their, their livelihood. Now, the reason they thought this might be is because one of the discussions we have for today, that they said the young men have a hard time when it comes to God's directives. During the prime of their life, when they're fueled by testosterone, they hear what God has to say about how to live their life, and this is very hard. It kind of reminded me in general, and I don't want to get in trouble here, but we struggle with hormones, don't we? Hormones, if only they were at controllable levels. When it comes to testosterone, too much of it, and you have very active boys who have a hard time controlling their bodies in general. When it comes to estrogen, too much of it, and you have a hard time controlling your emotions in general. And there we see kind of the general sins of both men and women. Men sinning with their bodies and women sinning with their emotions, and here we are. And I'm reminded of this as we look at Paul's directives to live a holy life. Maybe it struck you as it did to me. He said this, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. And then he starts it off by saying, you should avoid sexual immorality. You should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. And so our first takeaway, and it's very clear, is this, that to mind the gap, it is by staying pure. Now, this led me to investigate other areas of Paul's teaching. In fact, when it comes to New Testament, the, the writer Paul, he has kind of a way of writing his letters. He usually starts his letters um, by establishing the gospel. That we are saved through faith in Jesus, through the forgiveness of sins that he won on the cross. And that's our base. That is our foundation. And that's your base and foundation too. You are saved through the performance of Jesus, not by getting it all right. Hallelujah and amen. But as he goes throughout his letters, he usually ends with rules for holy living. When it comes to the book of Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Timothy, Thessalonians, he usually ends with directives on holy living, and he compares our sinful state with our spiritual state. And in our sinful state, he often is warning us about not being pure. He is often warning us about sexual sins. Whereas the Spirit operates in a different way. The Spirit is self-controlled. Now, it's not just Paul who picks up on this. One of my favorite writers in the Bible is Solomon. And in the book of Proverbs, look at what he says. A man who commits adultery has no sense, and whoever does so destroys himself. Isn't that strong language? But the question is, in a society that thinks very differently on the gift of sex, is God really true? Is this a gap that we should avoid? Does it really have ramifications? Is it really one of the minds to be avoided or not? I don't know your experience, but I have a story for you. I remember for a long time working at LA Fitness in New Lenox, and 
every day like clockwork, I saw this man, let's call him John. And John, um, he was from Hollywood. So uh, John was, was known, and we started a conversation, because he would just literally flex in the, the mirror, like the whole time while he was there. Unabashedly so. Um, and he was ripped, so he could do it. And I remember getting to know John, and he told me he was in movies in Hollywood. At this one point, uh, he led me into a room where he had me listen to a song he was singing. And he had this wonderful falsetto voice where he was singing this song called Lonely. Very sad song, but he did it very well. But the way he carried himself was always with a slight hunch. There seemed to be that there was something sad about what was going on in his life right now, just by the way he carried himself. I don't know if you've ever picked up on that. And then he let me in. I forget what day it is, but we're just talking about life. And, and he had told me years ago how he had an affair. And he said, I was out of my mind. I couldn't believe what I was doing. I, I had this affair. And that affair ended, and it broke his marriage. And the reason that he's still sad and what he's still carrying is what he did. And his former wife would not forgive him and would not give him the time of day. And it led to sadness day after day after day to the point where he even wondered, could he be forgiven? Now, it was my joy telling him, absolutely. Let me tell you about a man named David. David, the man after God's own heart, was restored. But did this gap of purity have consequences? Yes or no? And is your observation that it still has consequences today? Yes or no? Does God want to love you by saying, be pure? You know, one of the things that church gets characterized in a poor way is by never talking about that gift. It's actually something God created. It is not dirty and shameful. It is a gift to be enjoyed, but in the context of marriage. But as I was reading this section and hearing, control your body, and as I was thinking of a young man's plight, or a young woman for that matter, as I was considering our culture, as I was considering how the temptations are so much out there, I'm like, but God, how do you control your body? Well, a quick overview of how God works. I consider the battles that were won in the Old Testament. Whenever a battle was won, who was the power behind that win? It was God. Consider uh, the Red Sea. They walk through on the Red Sea, and God even tells them, stay still and I will fight for you. They don't do anything. He puts the, the sea on them, and the army is gone. Then Jericho, remember Jericho? They walk around, the walls fall. They don't even do a thing. The army turns on themselves, and Jericho falls, Right? But I was reading recently about this one battle where Moses, whenever he had his hands up against the Amalekites, do you remember this one? He was winning. So as long as his hands were up, he was winning. And so it's a, it's a beautiful picture. Um, the only problem is that if you've kept your hands up, it uh, reminds me of being at a carnival, and there's like you can hang from this bar. Really hard to do. Anyway, um, he couldn't keep his hands up. And whenever they went down, he started losing. 
And so Aaron and Hur came by. And Aaron and Hur, the friends, uh, were able to support those hands so that they could win the battle. I thought this is a great picture of how life works today. You have a struggle. First of all, who do you need to be strong for you? God. I'm here to tell you, you can't do it on your own. Your strength is not enough. You need God to fight your battles. But you know what also you need? Aaron and her. See, one of the reasons we love groups and walking together is because when we walk together, we can talk about the real issues of life fueled with the forgiveness of sins and the ways of God. And now a brother or a sister acts like Aaron and her to hold us up when that battle got it too intense for ourselves. So when we consider how, Paul, do we control our body, here's another takeaway. The strength to mind the gaps comes from God and other Christians. That's how we fight. When it comes to God's promise on this, look at what it says in 1 Corinthians. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. When tempted, he can provide a safe passage out. And when it comes to walking with others, look at what it says in Galatians. Carry each other's burdens. In this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. So yes, mind the gap with the strength of God and other Christians. But even knowing this, are we here because we've always won the battle? We've always kept our arms up, so to speak. No, we're here to recognize there is one warrior who never lost, and his name is Jesus. See, this warrior operated also through the strength of God, and when tempted, used the word of God. When tempted by the devil, said, you know what, man doesn't live by bread alone. Worship the Lord and serve him only. Don't test the Lord. He relied on God's strength through the word. When in a battle, he invited friends to come with him, said, watch and pray, watch and pray with me. And even when they failed to do that, he kept on to go to that battle. And how is the battle won? Not with arms lifted high, but arms lifted out. And he would not put them down. Not only because he was nailed there, but because we were on the other side of that victory. Our forgiveness, our peace, our salvation. Friends, whatever gap you've struggled with or whatever gap you're in, that's what you need to know. The outstretched arms of Jesus has forgiven it. And you are at peace. But through the power of the Spirit, through the peace of forgiveness, what if we learn to mine those gaps more and more which would lead to less and less heartache in our lives and more and more glory to God, our Father. That's the opportunity. But Paul has more for us. And when it comes to the directives that Paul had and rules for holy living, he says this, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands. Now, has anyone ever gotten in trouble with the words that they've spoken, saying too much or saying too little. It reminded me of a new day that Jimmy Kimmel created. Jimmy Kimmel, the comedian, created National Unfriend Day. 
And uh, one of the reasons he said is because you can only keep up with 150 people. Um, but as he was bringing this up, it, it was started because in 2016, during that presidential election, about 7% of people were unfriending because of politics. Now, I'm just curious if, like, this has been the year of unfriending. <laughs> with, with all the issues going on, right, um, on whatever topic. I, I don't know if you've read one of those posts. If you don't agree with X, Y, and Z, please unfriend me, right? It's the age we live in. And here's where sometimes we've fallen into the gap. And so I so appreciate that, that phrase, mind your business, mind your business. Um, it's a phrase that God had used. You can mind the gap by minding our business. And what this means in our life is that if you have a friend who shares with you a secret, it's best for that relationship to keep it a secret and stay confidential. That, that we need to beware of the words that we use in the age of outrage. Mind the gap when it comes to those things that would otherwise create anxiety and divide. You know, one of the commandments really talks about this. If you grew up in church, uh, quiz, uh, do, you, do you remember the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment? You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And Luther has explanations to these commandments, and all of them are good. But this one in particular is so relevant, at least to me. Look what it says. So we should fear and love God that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, or give him a bad name, but defend him, speak well of him, and take his words and actions in the kindest possible way. That last part in particular has been so essential for people in this age and in any age. In our relationships, do we take in the kindest possible way in order to mind the gap? You know, the reason Paul writes about this is in the Greek society, uh, I'm not saying it's right, I'm just saying it was, um, the men would be in the marketplace talking while the women and servants were doing all of the work. And so they had this free time just to talk about the issues of the day. And so Paul is addressing that that context, that free time, is not always helpful. In fact, even growing up, I remember this phrase that idleness is the devil's workshop. When you have too much time to talk about other things to say. And so I think there's a correlation also in what Paul puts next. He says, not only mind your business, but work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life will win the respect of outsiders and you will not be dependent on anybody. When it comes to what God has for you in life, whether it be school or work or your family, isn't there always enough to do? Without getting so wrapped up in someone else or something else, there's always enough in our own plates to do without getting in the fray, in the mix. But to close. You know, it's interesting in life that there are certain things that you have to not have too much of and certain things you can never have enough of. When it comes to eating and Valentine's Day is coming up, you have to beware not to eat all of these. You don't want 20 of the cups and all of Baby Yoda and what's inside. You have to limit yourself, otherwise it's not going to make good news for your body. 
But when it comes to other things like drinking water or eating veggies, can never have enough. I think of the same way in how we use our energy. If you're known for working too much and much and much and never turning it off, that's not good for your body. Or sometimes sleep in a nap, it seems like there's never enough. When we look at God's word and his directives to us, we find, spiritually speaking, there are areas that are never enough. We can always have more. I came across this passage from the King James Version uh, from Isaiah. It says this, Eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. I love the phrase there. My wife actually showed it to me. Uh, this idea that just as we know when we're getting fat because we're overeating, and that's bad. Uh, so <laughs> when, when we do that, though, with the things of God, that's really good. Let your soul just keep eating. What does this mean? When it comes to the promises of God and how much he loves us, just keep eating that. It's never enough. Let your soul delight in that fatness. When it says he's hurled your sins in the depths of your sea, just keep eating that. Just keep doing that. When it comes to your prayer life and talking to God, just keep doing that. Enjoy that. Keep eating and going and going. These are the good things of God. And Paul says, you know, there's another area of fatness that you can go. He said, about your love for one another, do so more and more. When it comes to reflecting on the year that has just gone by and what we need going forward, wouldn't anyone agree that what we need more and more of is love? That when done right, no one's going to be like, wow, you are way too considerate of my needs. Please stop that. You know what? You forgave me way too much. You should stop doing that. You know what? You served, you gave to me way too much. You, you should really calm down. No, if you're loving correctly, no one's going to stop you. You can always do more and more. Yes, mind the gap by pursuing a more and more love. Because this is the love of God for you. It's not a limited love or a cautious love. No, our God, he is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding or overflowing in love. As seen in the cross of Jesus. And now we have opportunity to love him more and more as we follow in his ways. Amen.